I'm Andrew Haynes, and this is the Fair Game Podcast, the place where we talk about all things golf. For this episode, we're heading west to Oregon to spend some time with the founders of two awesome brands based in the Pacific Northwest. The first is Akbar Christie, the founder of Seamus Golf, one of the biggest golf accessory brands out there. The second is Sam Han of Lab Golf, a modern brand on a mission to simplify the game by improving performance on the green to help golfers save a few strokes off their scorecard. Let's get started. Thanks for being on the podcast, guys. How's it going? Awesome. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having nice. us. Yes. For sure. So how is, I'm in New York. You guys are both in Oregon. Uh, how's the weather out there right now? Chilly. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, Sam, I see you rocking beanie over there. It's Is it like 30s over there as well? Yeah, and it's a bad 30. It's a moist 30. So like you go outside and the, just your skin gets wet and then the, the cold bug goes through your ear and into your soul and makes everything cold. Ooh, 30? It's 30 out there. Yeah, wow. we had some snow over the weekend. I mean, people were out getting their trees and getting snowed on here. Um, but but yeah, cold day. Generally, we only get snow like once every couple of years. Maybe lately it's been a little bit more. But for the most part, if you're a diehard, crazy golf person, you can play 12 months a year here. Um, I would say only about 8% of the Oregon golfing population still plays December through February, but uh, us, uh, us psychopaths definitely will will play rain or shine. I like that. So let's just say I came out there, I don't know, December 17th. What's our average temp? What are we talking? Is it like a 45 degree day? It's about right. Yeah, that's, that's golfable. Yeah. If it gets under 40 and it's raining, those are the times when I'm like not sure about it. But that, you know, isn't all the time. We had a long summer this fall, which was good. Uh, so I think people played quite a bit, but now we're into it. Now we're in there. We're in December. Days are short. Oh yeah. What, what used to be the, the a really well-kept secret was that the coast, um, does not have nearly as much fluctuation in temperature, um, seasonally. So, um, the cost at Bandon Dunes goes down by about 70% in the winter, which mm. is like an awesome deal because like, I mean, we, I used to go every year in February with a big group of guys for like 18 years, we did that. And like kind of two out of three um, years was totally fine. And then within those trips, you'd even get a day where, you know, it's like 60, even though it might be where we live here in the Valley, it might be, um, you know, 45 out on the coast, 60 and sunny and um, feels just like it does in the summertime for the most part. Yeah. I like that. Bannon's in the banana belt, man. They have the best weather down there. <clears throat> I mean, I think I had some buddies down there playing and they were sending some photos of quite a bit of sun this past week. So, and you're only a couple hours away from there, Sam, right? Correct. So that's nice. I used to be able to make it in two and a half. Now I got pulled over last time and got a speeding ticket. So now I properly allow it to take three hours. <laughs> 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 just flying i love it all right i do want to talk a little bit more about golf up there but uh let's take a quick tangent and just some people might might know might not know of you guys and what you do um 
maybe Sam, do you want to start? Talk a little bit about Lab and, and the story. Maybe start with how you got into golf first, because I always love those stories. Everyone has a different way in. And then kind of how that segmented into the brand and how you guys got it started and, and what you've been up to recently. Yeah, sure. So um, I learned how to play when I was young. My dad, you know, showed me the basics, showed me how to hold the club and um, and how to take a swing. Um but it didn't really like get into it, into it. Um, uh, not until I actually moved out here to Oregon from Chicago is where I'm from originally. Um, and, um, I moved right next to a dog friendly golf course and I had a dog. And so just as an excuse to run him around, um, I started playing all the time, uh, met a couple of like-minded golfers and dudes I could hang out with who were, um, uh, a couple of them that come to mind were, were good, you know, and that's how you get better is by playing with, with better players. And so, um, I think when I started playing in Oregon, I was, um, about an 18 handicap and I was a scratch player a couple of years later, um, just went full tilt psycho on the game and studied and practiced and put up a net in the garage. And I was, you know, running around this golf course, Laurelwood all day. Um, and, um, I've been in the bar and music business for 20 years. And so I had plenty of time during the day because all the work was at night. So um, really became a, a hardcore student of the game and a, and a pretty decent player um, with the exception of my uh, uh, wildly inconsistent putting. Um, and then uh, um, about five years ago now, um, a really talented coach by the name of Bob Duncan, um, who now is out in band, um, pulled out this ridiculous looking branding iron of a putter. And, um, I said, there's absolutely no chance I'll ever putt with that thing. And he said, just give me nine holes. Um, and all it took was seven. I, um, I don't even know how many feet of putts I made in those seven holes, but it was absurd. Um, and, uh, I drove right back to the clubhouse. I bought the putter, um, on the spot. And then, um, uh, and it changed everything. I was, I, I was a one at the time when I bought it and I was like a, uh, plus three and a half, six weeks later, um, like absolutely profound results. And, um, and then the freaking head fell off the putter. So I had to send it back. Um, and, uh, Bill Pressey, who's the inventor of Y-angle balance technology. Um, he reached out personally and, you know, to apologize for the head falling off. And we just got to, to chat and then we were, Turned out we were kindred golf spirits and became buddies. And then um, a few months after that, he was about to close the doors. The, the company just failed to, to get any kind of momentum. And so um, I saw a cool opportunity and I partnered with Bill and, and here we are now. That's awesome. So quick question. Uh, that first putter, was that the putter that you guys make today or was that a totally different model? No, that's the, that's the directed force 2.1. It's... Um, it's definitely gone through some changes, but the basic chassis, the basic shape, the footprint, um, is definitely our, you know, it's our, it's our, our flagship model. It's our logo. I mean, it's, it's, um, it, it is from a technological standpoint, the best putter on the planet and it still is. And, um, we've made some other models, um, certainly that utilize the lie angle balance technology and, you know, consequently they're incredibly easy to use. All of our putters are just a lot easier to use than conventional putters. Um, but yeah, you know, the, the, the size of the directed force was very off-putting for a lot of people. Um, but for those that can get used to it, um, you know, and that's my shtick that I, that I say to our customers, it's just like, if you're, if you're truly function over form, get the directed force. Um, there's just no reason not to, unless you're, you know, 
very consistently playing on it. it, it the, the only time that I, I think that people struggle with it is on extremely fast greens <clears throat> where you're trying to make these dainty little strokes and you have, you know, something the size of Texas on the end of your shaft. Um, it gets a little bit difficult to control, but other than that, it's just, it's a, it's a phenomenal putter and we'll, it, it'll never be out of our, um, out of our lineup. We've, like I said, we made a few changes. It used to be forged. It's now machined. Um, we've, you know, refined the, um, some of the weight ports mostly just for, it's not a performance thing. It's just for us for manufacturing and getting them balanced a little easier than they used to. But, um, but yeah, the DF will always, always be there. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. I want to circle back. We'll, we'll dig into that some more. Akbar, give us the quick little Seamus Akbar 101. I know you used to be a caddy. Is that true? Uh, yeah, I was a caddy and I worked in the shop at Bandon Dunes between 01 and 05 in the summers of college. I went to Portland state, studied accounting there. Uh, a couple of years later, I met my wife, Megan, uh, and she was a designer at Pendleton woolen mill. Uh, so she was designing women's wear there. Um, our company came about when she was fixing one of my head covers. My dad brought me from Scotland. It was tartan wool. And we started playing around with a few different designs um, and, you know, basically came about this idea for a barrel shaped head cover, which at the time wasn't really something being done and used basically select remnants from Pendleton uh, to make them. And so our first delivery was to Bandon Dunes in 2011. And since then, we've grown and we continue to make all of our head covers here uh in our shop and have added other stuff like working with a local blacksmith to make metals um nothing as technologically sam as advanced as what you're doing it's literally like hammering on you know ball marks and, and making them uh on, a, on an anvil heating them up so uh it's about the least precise we could get but i'm really <laughs> i'm really into what you got going on and i want to check it out um but, um, but yeah, so that ball mark movement started in 14 or so. And then we've expanded that line to include like other stuff like bag tags. And we call it the divot shank, a divot tool. That's pretty Cro-Magnon looking. Um, we've got some trophies that we make as well on occasion, which is, which is fun. But, but our biggest uh, feather in the cap right now is uh, it's kind of cool that Adam Scott's using our head covers and that's been pretty sweet. So um we we don't really have a whole lot of tour presence a lot of it's just golf enthusiasts that are looking for stuff for their own bag and and so um we end up being the uh the cover that people use to get their own identity going in there so yeah yeah that's awesome quick question on the barrel shape so you said that that sh at the time and correct me if i'm wrong that shape of a head cover did that exist or no or was no, it, it wasn't a it common was basically, shape? Like wasn't a shape. I mean, people had those way back with the ping covers and stuff like that. Um, ours was this single seam down the back, and and we were trying to get rid of the knit that was at the bottom of most of these tartan covers. And so we basically uh came up with this design from scratch, which has now uh become more frequently used as a shape. But um, our design has also evolved, too, based on the shape of the drivers and stuff. So we do our little tinkering of it every year. But overall, yeah, that was the first of that, I guess. Very interesting. I didn't know that. Just this morning, I was 
I have a garage full of golf clubs and I have a, a buddy, an old friend in Chicago who's taking up the game. And I have this giant box full of head covers. Um, and I was putting together a set for him and like finding some head covers for it. And I, I literally, I have absolutely no idea where it came from, but I found one of your head covers. Uh, it's a, it's a, a green and yellow uh, and white uh, plaid barrel shape for a, it looks like it's for a three wood. Um, and I like, look, I was like, huh. And then I saw the tag. I was like, oh, thank you for uh spreading the wool um that's, that's great <laughs> spreading the wool well done sir there you go yeah that's did you did you trademark that yet by the way spreading the wool i don't know i, I would write that down spreading the wool here <laughs> that's good it is, I will say it's funny. Uh, I feel like every golfer, and this is this could be an exaggeration, but I feel like every golfer in America has at least one piece of Akbar in their bag. If it's not a head cover, it's definitely a ball mark. Because every club that I've been to has them. Yeah, well, I mean, we're not in a, yeah, I mean, you're going some, we, we're lucky to work with some great spots, um, you know, and, and it's basically, yeah, we just, I, I don't know how it's in every bag, but um you know, it's just, we've been pretty lucky to have people like what we're doing. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe I just have too many of them because <laughs> it's funny because when I, I don't know, my personal design aesthetic is like when I go to a pro shop, I walk in, look around. And especially if you're playing a special course, like when I played Bandon, like the first time I went out to Bandon, which was epic, we played all the tracks, all five. And I wanted to get just a marker. I'm not that big on golf merch. Normally I like a marker, maybe a hat. Um, and the one thing from a design perspective, and maybe this is just a graphic designer in me, but like, I like clean, simple, minimal things. Um, yeah. And just your marker, just a clean stamping, no color, no enamel. That just was something that I thought was cool because they age well, like when they get old and dinged and maybe they rust, I think that looks cool. So anyways, yeah, I mean, when we started on the ball mark, I think there was just it was just uh, poker chips, and so nobody was really doing a ball mark more than like ten bucks or something. And we um, we played around with these divot shanks, as I call them, the divot tool that I don't have it on my desk here to show you, but you know, the ball mark was something we made to give away to people, and the idea was to make it flatter. But the design is supposed to be inspired by those old hickory clubs, you know, and those hand forged heads. They just had a little bit of patina that was dropped in and then they just either buff it off or it would just end up, you know, end up looking that way. But I'm pretty stoked to have resonated with you. I mean, I'm inspired by, I think a lot of, you know, what you're into um, as, as you go to, you know, showcase stuff that you like, Andrew, like your eyes, like incredible. Um, and, and so we wanted to, you know, enjoy that with golf. It's just the logos that we like to work with are the simplest and the cleanest. So that reduces the number of accounts we can really work with because some are very complex. And, you know, I think that there's been a transition towards more um, club logos that look that way and, and ends up looking all right. So. Nice. Speaking of just the balance of, because I think there's some interesting parallels with just innovation and design. And how do you strike that perfect balance of something that looks really cool, but then also functions? Um, and to Sam's point, you know, when you're on the golf course, if the numbers are low, that should be the kind of like core core thing you're worried about. And then you obviously from a, from a design perspective, you want to make sure that there's something that you can look at aesthetically, you feel comfortable with when you're standing over the ball, things like that. Sam for lab, um, 
Because I know there's a lot of science that goes into what you guys make, but then also there is a lot of design. Like you guys aren't just letting science lead the way. You're thinking about, like I know, for example, you know, just the paints you guys are using, like, you know, the matte finishes. Are you guys anodizing any anything at all, or is it just all powder? It's all anodized. Yeah, all the all the 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 aluminum heads we make, the mez and the and the directed forces, <clears throat> those are anodized. Um, which is a super cool finish. And, and yeah, we think about aesthetics. We, we have, um, it's a, it's an interesting thing. So the, so the, you know, I inherited the shape of the, the directed force and, um, and my own experience, um, with sort of at first just accepting the shape, um, and then actually loving the shape definitely drives, uh, or is it, or is at least the foundation of the way that we, that we look at shape and, Mm-hmm. Um, we stay very present with the fact, very present with not only our own experience around that kind of stuff, but also, um, and, and I bring this up a bunch online when people are, you know, cracking wise about the shape of the putter and stuff and talking crap, like Carson Solheim could not give a ping answer away. Like, like he stood on the side of the putting green at tour events, just like we did. Um, with a bag full of ping putters and people would come up with the same just vitriol just like i would never in a million years ever be caught dead using something that ugly and 60 years <laughs> later it's the standard of beauty so it's very important to remember that aesthetics are subjective they truly 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 are subjective um <clears throat> and when you're talking about the aesthetics of something that also has performance value um the performance is going to contribute to the aesthetic so the experience with the directed force, when I first saw it, I threw up in my mouth a little bit. And then after I, you know, made <laughs> all the putts that I made, I was like, you know, this thing's kind of cool looking. She's yeah. got a nice, nice little touch on her. <laughs> it's important to, you know, to, to note that that performance is ultimately going to make anything look good. Um, at the same time, we have to sell putters and we have to get people willing to pick it up off the rack. Um, and so uh, with the Mez, um, it was really important that, um, we at least got a little bit closer to something that people could stomach without having to try. Um, and, uh, and we did it. The guy who designed it, um, the really, really talented designer, his name's John Berquist. Um, he has his own, uh, putter company. It's called, uh, Flux Golf. Um, mm. and he makes really, really cool looking putters. Um, so he and I worked together, um, on a, you know, on a, on a, a couple of different shapes and ultimately arrived at the Mez and, um, you know, it has a, a familiar enough shape with the, with the fangs there, the, the Odyssey number seven has, you know, become at this point a staple shape in, in almost everybody's lineup. Um, and then, you know, we put our little spin on it. I, I, I really enjoyed the day that we released it. There was two different memes that started floating around right away with a picture of the Mez right next to the Tesla truck. Um, which is <laughs> yeah, yeah. compliment or an insult, depending upon which side of the fence you're on with, <laughs> with, uh, with that design. But, um, I, I, I was really pleased with how, um, it landed right in the middle of weird enough looking to be a lab putter and, um, normal enough looking to, um, to catch some eyes. Sam, your, your meme game is unreal. Like I stumbled on this Zyrgolf thing, I think. It was something yesterday or the day before. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to be on this call with Sam. And uh, it was like this guy who looks at the putter is like, I would never buy this putter. And then it shows him putt it. It goes in. He's like, all right, let me get my wallet out, basically. Right. You know, like 
<laughs> that, was, that was great. We did. We had nothing to do with that. That was such a fun shout out. And then it was yeah, the, the first line, the first line in that little video is who would ever use that putter. Right. And then um, uh, Adam Scott or his team uh, commented on that thread with the little emoji that has the hand raised like me. Um, I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I very much appreciated that one, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's you know, if you read the comments on that, like, if you use one of our putters, like, you're going to take a lot of crap for it. Like, there's <laughs> there's just no way around it. And so there's like 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 our our customers end up having this like trauma bond with their putters <laughs> because they've you know just um, getting gotten so much grief from all of their friends and everything. Um, so that when people post those memes. Um, I mean, all of the the lab soldiers just come out of the woodwork and be like, hey, man, back off. I mean, you raise a very it's a very fair point just when you think about with culture and not just in golf, but with anything. When you think of shoe design or car design or, 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 or furniture, anything like at a certain point, there becomes a standard like, oh, it's it's mid-century modern or it's whatever. And then that just becomes a thing. And then all of a sudden so someone says, hey, well, what if this can look or be made out of this? And then at first it's crazy, but then over time it changes. Because I'm thinking about some other putters, for example, that were probably at the time very unique. Like I know you mentioned the ping, but uh, like the Odyssey two ball, there probably was a time where that was like a very kooky thing. It's got two big giant white dots in the back. It looks like you're standing over three balls, but over time people were like, oh, that that makes sense. So, I mean, it's an interesting way to think about it. Um, I actually know, uh, the guy who was instrumental in bringing that to market. Um, and, uh, he put his job on the line for it. He, um, they, they had made a couple of prototypes. They floated it around the R and D department. Um, and everybody was like vehemently, absolutely not. We will not release this. And, um, at least as the story goes, this guy, uh, was it Jimmy Bosworth went into the powers that be and said, if this isn't our best-selling putter by the end of the year, then you can fire me. And, uh, wow. and sure enough, it's, you know, now the greatest, greatest selling putter of all time. That's pretty cool. Let's talk a little bit about just expansion. So you guys kind of have like a core product you started out with, and then you're kind of like expanding into new territories. Um, I know, Sam, you guys have a very interesting putter coming out or that's kind of out, but then it's coming out next year, uh, which has my eye and eyes of lots of people and then akbar you've been doing a lot of things just going beyond head covers and and bags and the, the far and shore collection which you've been working on which some people may not know about so yeah let's talk a little bit about expansion um kind of like sam do you want to go first do you want to talk a little bit about the new putter yeah you know kind of going 180 from the the commitment to being weird that i was talking about a second ago we were you know finally just like got bullied and beat up enough online and we're like fine fine we'll make an answer style putter fine um so yeah link one is um has the basic footprint and shape of uh you know an answer a newport um <clears throat> we mounted the shaft um differently uh we we have you know some uh, physics related, um, parameters that we need to fit within in order to, to, to balance the putters the way that we do. Um, but yeah, it's awesome. It's a really, really clean looking, um, putter. And, you know, there are some people, um, who just simply don't use mallets like ever. Um, we've made blade putters in the past. We had the B2. Um, it was <clears throat> for most people just a little bit too simple. 
um, from a performance aspect, it, it also left plenty to be desired on the, the forgiveness side of things. It felt amazing if you caught it right out the middle. And if not, it was not a pleasant experience. Um, uh, but Link is uh, much more forgiving on the B2. Um, it's easy on the eyes. It's easy to line up. And it's got all of um, all of our, our Liangle Balance technology. And uh, one of the first people to receive one um, was Charles Howell. Um, and we were really curious to know how it was going to be received because like one of the luxuries that we've had making such weird looking putters is that um, people don't play the comparison game with us because there's nothing to compare our putters to. So mm-hmm. um, they kind of take it for what it is. And it's not like, uh, you know, it'll never be a odyssey. It'll never be a spider, whatever. Um, we're just kind of on an Island unto ourselves. And, <clears throat> and with link, you know, now all of a sudden the, the Scotty fanboys and the Bettinardi fanboys are coming out of the woodwork and um, trying to throw some shade. But but the idea was to make an answer style putter that employed our technology. Um, Charles got the putter and the first thing that he texted, he's like, it's like a ping answer, but really stable. And I was like, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so far, uh, early indications suggest it's doing exactly what we wanted it to do. Um, and, you know, hopefully... You know, it serves as kind of a gateway drug to our technology because you can get a little bit more out of our technology the larger the footprint you go with. Um, the more, the bigger the putter, the more obvious the lie angle balance feels in motion. And so the hope is is that people try the link and, um, uh, you know, hopefully. Link? Sam, are you talking about the B2? I'm on your website. Is that the one? No, uh, if you're on the website, just scroll down just a touch from the, the top of the first page and you will see uh, Link 1 pre-release. Oh, baby. There we go. Oh, hello. Cool going on here. <laughs> Got it. Okay, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and so, oh. and the good news for you, Akbar, is, is, that, is that that putter will likely fit into some head covers that you guys already have made. I do um, want to talk about been, that at some point. Yeah. <laughs> it's a challenge for us. There you go. People hate our head covers, and in a lot of cases, I don't blame them. Um, but there's no aftermarket stuff because our putters are the only ones that fit into our head covers. But, um, but anyways, yeah. So the link hopefully is going. You know, your question is about expansion, and link hopefully uh, will provide us that opportunity to to get into some um, some new markets and catch some eyes that um, you know otherwise would have ignored you know, uh, uh, the, the sort of tech forward, um, looking putters that we have. Nice. I have one insider question. And if you can't give us the answer, it's totally fine. Uh, will, will the link one come in any colors other than the aluminum? Uh, it's not. So the link one's actually made out of stainless. Um, ah, cool. So that one's not going to be, it doesn't give us the opportunity to anodize it. Dude, yeah, dude, stainless, let's go. That's awesome. The stainless is, it's clean. We also did um, a couple uh, samples in what's called black nitride. um, And those looked really cool too. So a strong chance we'll, we'll at least do a limited run of those, if not just offer it as a, as a general offering. Sick, dude. Sick. Sick. Very sick. Akbar is so stoked right now. Akbar is going to drive over and just hit some putters. We'll see him downstairs. Unfortunately, yes, this is going. This is in my head. I was like, I'm showing up because this and it just looks sick. I love the those little things, screws you got on the front. Like everything is like it ends up looking cool because you feel like it does something. You know, I don't even know what all these things are, but like they are. I've they never are seen all a putter necessary. like that. It's not. Uh, it is not decoration. Every one of those screws cool. 
is used to 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 balance and um, increase MOI, all that good stuff. Sick. Okay, because now I'm like just asking nerdy questions slash educating myself and doing some window shopping. So with those weights, right? Like there's weights in the toe and there's weights at the bottom. Hold on, on the new. Is there are there weights in the bay? Eight. They're everywhere. Um, there is six out on the toe. Um, four in the heel, I think 10, is it 10 weights total? I'm not looking at it, but, um, yeah, what's your, what's your, what's your query with the weights? Do you guys like highly recommend fittings with, with customers that buy your putters? We do. Um, uh, the, the fitting was extremely necessary, um, with the directed force because it's so big and so flat on the bottom that if you didn't get fit into a putter with a proper lie angle, um, it, it just wouldn't sole properly. And it, it, it was just really, really difficult to use. Um, so you had like no tolerance on getting a proper lie for the directed force. The Mez, a little bit less so. And now Link, similar to, you know, uh, other putters of a similar ilk, it's got camber on the bottom. So if you're a couple degrees toe up or a couple degrees toe down it's not the end of the world but yeah we totally recommend getting a, a, a fitting because it's so lovely to be able to set a putter down and have it sit flush without a without a fight and consequently we have um we have a remote fitting that is like really really easy and extremely accurate um we we do have fitting locations all around club champion fits for our stuff pga trooper source fits for our stuff a bunch of green grass facilities um, but if those aren't accessible cool. doing the remote fitting is like it's nothing you take a, a five second video with your cell phone with you putting near a door jam basically. Um, and we're able to get all the information that we need off of that. And, uh, we send it to you and then you go online and, and place your order. Get out because you're just, you're just checking angles, right? Exactly. I mean, and, and we, you know, the comfort is king for us. Like we're not really, uh, when only in really egregious cases, do we try and help out with some actual tips on putting? Um, but for the most part, what we want is for you to stand and stroke the stroke the putter how you want to do it. And then we can fit you from there. So, um, you know, if you like your hands super low, um, we can fit you into a 63 degree lie angle, which for those who don't necessarily know what that is, that's like insanely flat. Um, mm. Your hands super low to the ground. Um, we can do that. And most putter companies can't like, usually you can only bend a putter two or three degrees, one direction or another before it starts looking funny. And, um, you know, you start risk breaking the, breaking the hosel. So, um, yeah, that's one of the really fun things that we can do is we, with however you want to stand, um, throw convention out the window, you make your video and then yeah, put the putter. Very cool. Yeah. I got to check that out. Akbar, uh, let's talk a little bit about just the new Seamus stuff. So, I've seen, you know, some of the bags you guys have made over the years, but I've been noticing more. I feel like you guys have been expanding even more and more outside of just the head covers and the, and the ball marks and whatnot. Um, out of the newer things you guys have been making accessory wise, like what is the one that you guys have been focusing on the most? Has it been the bags or, or is it just me? We launched quite a few bags this holiday. We were having challenges making them. We started making them back in 14, and it was basically a half set bag designed for playing places that are nine hole or short courses. Um, mm -hmm. That bag sort of evolved. Uh, we were able to do custom par three bags for, you know, the cradle. Um, we've done it for the sandbox. We've done it for the preserve out abandoned. And that process was really good for us because, um, you know, the cradle does some 35,000 rounds and one bag can be around for like quite a few of those. So once they got 
to the point where they're falling apart, we were like, send them back and we'll take a look at them. And so we've gone through and changed that design many times now that I'm really pleased with how it's come out. Um, you know, I've done quite a few rounds with them. And so we launched a few different designs. Basically ours is, um, you know, it'll fit like 12 bat, uh, 12 clubs comfortably up to 14 if you're really jamming them in there. But I'm kind of against that personally, philosophically, uh, just for the purpose of what we're doing with that bag. Um, but but yeah, I would say that that's been a big thing. Um, our covers, you know, we just launched our first mallet cover, which was like years in the making. And it's the wrong one for Sam. Um, <laughs> but, you know, as far as a focus goes. We have people that ask for stuff that's not on the menu more often than they ask for stuff that's on the menu. And, you know, like even our blade putter cover was not really something we made until it was like, you know, we had Tigers, Tigers people needed a putter cover for him at some point in this last year and his dog had eaten it his putter cover. And so, like, <laughs> oh, um, so then he was like, Hey, you should do, because we've done a couple of projects for him in the past, which were like gifting for president's cup and stuff. And so he sent us his favorite putter cover. We matched the magnet, got the magnet to the level he wanted. And he, you know, was very specific about the leather. And so like during this process, when we designed and made the putter cover for him and a couple of others, it was just like, people want to celebrate their own individuality through their head covers. It's, kind of one of those parts of uh, all of the things that you own in golf where you get to differentiate kind of who you are. Apparel has come around quite a bit, but, you know, what we've found is like the options are kind of endless within making a custom and unique head cover. So um, we started playing around with that. Like we did like these dog head covers, which was like people could get their own dog breed, which is like kind of a unique way of going about it because um, like Max Homa was using one of those and he, you know, Shane Bacon made it for him, had us make it for him and everybody just wanted their own dog breed. So we started playing around with that. And so I see us doing more custom stuff in the next year, but that's not to say that we won't do more, you know, other stuff too. I don't know. There's some collabs and things I'm trying to do, but I don't know. Nice. That's awesome. Did you say Charles Howell is using your putter, Sam? This yeah. Link, is he play down in Isleworth? He does, yeah. right? Yeah, because the pro there, I, he hooked me up with his old seven wood. <laughs> and so I've been gaming that. But like Charles Howell is <laughs> sick. And uh, I've got to watch him on the range before, but never putting. But like this putter is so sick. And I love that he's using it because. Um, I can't wait to try to dink around with it or something. Like I gotta, I gotta get my hands on that. I'm well, so yeah, stoked. Come down, hang out. We'll hit putts. We'll eat food. We can go play golf. When it gets too cold, we can come back inside and warm up. But yeah, it's it's sweet. Yeah, Charles has been great. He's um, uh, uh he's another one of the guys. I, I like uh, Kelly Slater, the surfer, has been like my gateway to all of the pros. Um, great because he puts so well. Um, he still uses the directed force, so people start asking about mm -hmm. it. And, <clears throat> He played around with Charles like over a year ago. We sent him some putters. I never heard from him for like months and months and months. And then he reached out, um, wanted a, a lighter version of the Mez. He used the Mez for um, uh, a few months. 
And then uh, he was just on the list of folks we wanted to send a, le- uh, a link to just for feedback. Um, and uh, he put it in play immediately. So um, yeah, he's a, he's a really totally one of the nicest guys out on tour. Um, you got to think and move fast with him around. Like, I feel like I need a nap when I'm done talking. <laughs> and he, uh, he, uh, he That's talks funny. so fast and he's going like, he, he's, he's, he moves real, real quick and, gets what he needs out of the conversation and moves on. It's <laughs> yeah. It's his, his, his demeanor is similar to the tempo of his golf swing. And, uh, it's a lot of fun to be around. That's fantastic. Akbar. So you mentioned with the bag, it sounds like you are not a full bag guy. Is that correct? Is that safe to say? Um, yeah. When I went to go basically get my first set of clubs, I was getting fit for these forged cavity backs and, they were really expensive. And so I was like, uh, all right, so it's going to be like 2,500 for the full set. And I'm like, all right, well, why don't you skip the three, skip the, I don't really like the five, uh, take that seven out too. <laughs> Cause I was like, right. In college, like coming out of college, it's like, you know, and, and when I play abandoned with the wind, like you're never really hitting a full shot ever like you're always doing something which is what i love about links weather golf so it was very practical and you'd be carrying your bag so like each club you take out which i know this isn't good for club companies you're not taking your putter out you're going to keep that but you know each club you take out reduces the weight of your carry and increases the creativity you get to employ while you're out there so i'm not I'm not a scratcher, a plus 3.6. I'm a washed up seven or eight who's like a vanity handicap, probably shoots 85 most of the time. Uh, <laughs> but I want to have fun doing it. And I do aspire to get back to, you know, I was two or three in high school. But um, it's it's more for casual golf encounters, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's fair. I love the reduced bag and I, and you're absolutely, I I've done it abandoned a few times just to like prove a point to myself, which is that I, I assume like when it's blowing 30 down there, you could have 20 clubs or you could have six and you're going to shoot the same score. Like right. it's, it's true. To, you know, totally irrelevant. Um, do you know who Christopher Smith is? Yes. He is a huge advocate for this. Dude. It's awesome. A good dude. For those of you listeners out there, go Google speed golf at Bandon dunes and you will see a video of this dude shooting 68 in 53 minutes with yeah. i think it's six golf clubs or something yes. like that like yeah you watch so, this video wow. and it's just like it's very he, obvious that we are all doing it wrong dude, did you ever do <laughs> like i did speak off with him at bandon in that championship and oh wow all right, i'm not like i i run a 12 minute mile okay so like i'm not a runner <laughs> the run around there was awesome i used four clubs i used my five wood my eight iron my gap wedge and my putter and i shot 82 at bandon dunes oh, and like yeah. 87 minutes which is like very slow for speed golf it's like a very slow time but they add the two numbers together and i got third in my division oh sick because the guys who shot like 120 in 50 minutes you know it compares to like an 80 plus an 80 or whatever it was like really close mm-hmm. in there but wow. dude he's totally chris smith is incredible like he what he does out there is unreal and I mean, shooting subpar with like four or five clubs, like I don't even know how you do that. It's fun. That's I, insane. I know Chris, well, he he he's around here. We we played a bit of golf together, and certainly spent plenty of time together at his uh, at his studio hitting balls. And he is 
he is an awesome dude and uh certainly um i would imagine you know, i hope you do some consulting with him on the bag he's got a lot to say about golf bags and um and how yes. it works yeah he's a he's a he will not get in a cart despite me trying um and uh yeah very rarely plays with more than eight clubs i think he won he won the oregon open i think with eight clubs against uh burke nelson like a decade ago wow um, yeah that's amazing i mean i need to watch this video is he just sprinting between from between shots or is it like a light jog yeah it's i mean i would say it's a heavy jog i wouldn't say it's a full sprint it's a heavy jog um you know he's you know obviously picturing what it is that he's planning on doing um uh as he's running up to the ball and then um and executes and uh <clears throat> i mean when he's just hitting balls like he's silly straight i mean he hits it so straight um and so um never gets him out itself out of position and, and in speed golf you're you know you're trying to make a bunch of par so um you don't you don't need to make um a whole bunch of birdies and so you know you can see the way he plays like he's smart he's he's you know make sure he's nowhere near any of the bunkers and nowhere near any anything i think he hit one bunker in that round and they still have to rake <laughs> i was gonna ask that but yeah this video is awesome it's like it's really well produced too it's like two and a half minutes long it's got this cool music and like um yeah when you watch it check out the up and down on 11 you're like yeah. oh my god i, I quit yeah. golf <laughs> chris smith's soup speed golf with christopher smith band in news oregon 352 yeah this we're gonna watch this after this podcast this is gonna be insane wow look at that bag and the bag is quite light it's basically a handle he did didn't he design his own bag that he had like sun mountain or somebody make him a special speed golf bag that like doesn't have a strap and he just like throws it down yeah and then picks it up it's like um pretty cool thing well i had i had a f one more fun chris smith story um, so he's pretty much retired from speed golf and this would have been four years ago or so, like right when I, you know, started, um, doing the lab thing. And he, he spent, um, about a month with the putter and had some pretty good results with it. Um, and, uh, comes to me and he says, um, I, he's, he's got like, he's got a new hip and a new knee and, um, and he's like, so, you know, I'm not quite as fast as I used to be. I'm like, oh, really? You know, 55-year-old bionic man is not as fast as he used to be. So uh, <laughs> and he's, like, he's like, but if I, if I don't have to put my bag down on the side of the green, um, I think I can pick up a few minutes. And so if I can putt one-handed, um, I think I can do it. So and he's like, with your putter, I think that, you know, it's stable enough that we can do it. So I spent a few, you know, month or two with him trying to come up with a, a technique that allowed him to hold his bag in the left hand kind of off to the side, which sort of forced this open stance and forced us to really reconsider like what, how the putter should fit short, long, flat, upright, all the stuff. And we, you know, messed around with a bunch of different techniques. And by the end of it, because you don't have to manage the torque, you know, in a directed force or manage the face, it's just swinging on its own. I was like, wait a second. Like, why do we putt with two hands? Like there's, there's no other stroke sport in the world that like it's dominated by both hands. Like try, try throwing a dart with two hands. It's not going to go very well. <laughs> right. And I was like totally about to be a one-handed putter until I realized like, I'm already like got the big ugly putter guy. I don't need to also be <laughs> the one-handed guy. <laughs> That's interesting. He did pretty good with that. And then lo and behold, I think there's a few other speed golfers out there now that are putting with one hand. Wow. That's fantastic. I got to check this out.
A um, couple more questions. Uh, one, I know, and thank you. I'm, I'm asking two uh, two founders of brands that are probably in their busiest quarter of the year to do a podcast. So thank you for the time. Uh, but how are you guys wrapping up the year just between now and, and, and end of December? What are you guys focused on? We have our a uh, couple of different channels of business for us. We we sell to golf shops and, and destination resorts and events. And then we do our website, which during the holidays, we end up staying pretty busy. Um, a lot of our fall bookings are underway and or wrapped up. And so we're in the process of doing our, we're basically our busiest in December and January um, from an administrative standpoint. And then uh, just trying to get things sorted for Things like the PGA show, we go and have quite a few meetings there. Um, I would wonder, Sam, what are you guys doing? For the show or just in general? You guys are cranking on all kinds of stuff, right? I mean, we are from stuff. a sales standpoint, you know, op- different than you guys. This is actually our slowest couple of months of the year. Um, we get a little flash on Black, on Black Friday, but we don't do any sales really. Um, you know, we've made a, a commitment to our retailers that we don't ever want to undercut them. Um, and our putters are already so expensive, uh, on the wholesale side that there just isn't really room to do any sales. So we just kind of stay the course in the winter time. Um, and it gives us, um, an opportunity basically to like clean up <laughs> from the, the chaos that, uh, that was the preceding year and, um, all the nerdy business stuff we got, we got budgeting to do. We got, um, processes to make, we got, um, just making, getting, getting all our ducks in a row to release, uh, the link putter is going to get released in mid January for production right now. It's just the, the, the first run that's out. Um, we'll have another putter coming out in the late spring, um, and just, uh, getting prepared for all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's pretty, pretty mellow around here, actually. Nice. Um, I have one more fun question for each of you guys. This is a circle back to the beginning of the podcast. So someone's coming to Oregon for a weekend, long weekend. Fly in late Thursday, play some golf Friday, Saturday, Sunday, either red eye back or fly back Monday morning. What is your ideal route? Like, you know, what does that itinerary look like? Where are you flying into? What three courses are you hitting up? Maybe where to eat? Qu- quick little top line, uh, Rick Steve style, you know, travel guide for golf. Rick Steve's. <laughs> yeah. You remember Rick Steve's? That guy's the man. <laughs> Sam, are you okay? Do you want me to go? Or do you want to go? I mean, you're, you're, it, you're the you're the Bandon expert, and that is that is the answer. Go to Bandon <laughs> for three days. That's it. Go that's to Bandon. I mean, <laughs> I think Bandon is like so good, and you get so much of like. I, I agree with you. Like, if you're coming to Oregon to play golf, and you haven't been here, like our best golf is in Bandon, and it's impossible to escape that. But when I think about my favorite golf trips. Like it usually involves doing something else than just golf while I'm there. And within Oregon, I mean, I think there's quite a few different options of stuff to do. It just kind of depends on what people are into. If you're coming into Portland, um, you know, on the way down, there's like vineyards and stuff I think is always beautiful to go check out. It kind of shakes up the trip. But I don't know if you want to drive four and a half hours after hitting three vineyards. So um <laughs> But, but <laughs> absolute chaos. <laughs> yeah, food wise, Portland's coming around. It was in a dark spot. I was advising people to uh, drive through it as quick as you could. But you know, they've just gotten done cleaning it up, and there's a lot of nice little restaurants that are there that are kind of coming around. Um, but I don't know, Sam. Would you just fly straight into Eugene and then go straight out there? Or would you play other spots on the way? 
I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to pretend Banda doesn't exist because it's, it, it, well, of course it is Oregon. It's, it's like its own little oasis. I mean, it's, it's so beautiful and it is without question the best golfing experience in the world period. Like with the golf that you get to play, the views, the restaurants, just the whole vibe of the resort too, the way everybody treats you there. Like it's just the best golfing experience in the world, but it doesn't feel Oregon to me. Oregon, when I, when I think Oregon golf, um, I think about, you know, 150 foot tall fir trees and um, tight fairways and lush turf and uh, tiny greens and all that. So to that end, I would say, um, I would say you fly in uh, to Portland, and we're assuming we can get on all the fancy private stuff. I'd go play, and I, I actually I go the opposite as far as you like with golf trips. I'm all golf. I don't care about the casinos. I don't care about the wine tasting. I don't care about anything. Like I just want to golf from sun up till sundown, and then I want to go to bed. Um, so I would play 36 at Waverly. I'd, uh, Waverly Country Club's a, a really, really beautiful spot. It's got some very cool holes. Um, there's a couple other pretty ones up there, but Waverly always sticks out at me. Um, right. I would drive down here to the valley and play um, Eugene Country Club is uh, stunning. Um, I think I would, I would probably skip Emerald Valley, even though it's an awesome, very difficult golf course. It's not as pretty. But my favorite place in all of Oregon um, – I would uh, drive up the Mackenzie River uh, about an hour and a half from uh, Eugene, Oregon, and play a little place called Tokati. Um, and it's uh, it's like really in the middle of nowhere. Like you're positive you're on the wrong highway going to the wrong spot, and then it just jumps out at you like just a quick turn off this little state highway. And then um, it's beautiful, and you're staring at the Three Sisters, which is these mountains up in Bend, the whole time the trees are enormous all the holes are kind of separated the course is super fair and super fun and the the it was owned by uh or still is owned by um uh, a, a multi-generational timber family here in oregon and so part of their shtick is logging and whatever and there's like all these crazy broken down super old logging machines just like scattered about the property just like weird tractors and cranes and crap you never seen before um and it's uh that's that's my retirement plan is uh fly fishing in the morning on the mckenzie followed by Ooh. golf in the afternoon at toka and, um, that's not all golf that's not all golf by the way that's fair. Fair point. <laughs> fair point. Same day. I but okay so token t all right i i i totally co confirm your toka t thing i've heard this before but i've never been and i want to go now i want to go more oh you're kidding oh let's do I, that when you come down yes, here yes yes Yes. Now on the wave thing, Waverly is awesome. It's the only course we have that's been reconstructed by like a really notable architect like Gil Hans. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. It's on the river. You don't even feel like that's another course where you don't even really feel like it's like so East Coast vibey, but it's also right on the Willamette, which is beautiful. My favorite. Entries. The idea of 36 there, though, PGC is getting redone. Portland Golf Club. And um, our man, Dan Hickson, is like shredding it up. And I just got the tour. And my favorite thing I would think would I would be like, dude, if you come to Portland, you should we should do Wave and PGC same day. And that's just an idea. Just brainstorming here, man. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that's a good idea. I mean, I'm looking at pictures of Tokati now. This is stunning. 
It's so I've heard so much good about like it just it just doesn't register on any maps though for some reason. It is well because it's not fancy and it's not it's not it's it's fifty bucks to play there like and you can play and you don't need to wear a shirt you can wear flip flops like it's it's like it's like the it's a muni vibe like it's not that's what you that's what you want I mean it's the best vibe. Yeah. I, but I think that that's why it doesn't end up on lists and, you know, whatever. And it's near nothing. Like, it's just not, it's not on the way to anywhere that you would go. If you're going to Bend, you fly into Bend. If you're going to Eugene, you fly into Eugene and it's right between the two. So it's. But if you, um, so if you're driving to Bend from Eugene, you're going by it, right? Okay. Got it. Interesting. So going into Eugene is the ideal scenario. Yep. Because you can go south and head to bandon you can go east and head to to tokati or bend or you can go north and head up to portland plus you got uh, eugene country club which that i haven't been there to play since they redid it that sounds and looks amazing it's really it's a really really cool pretty course um it's unfortunately i think probably gotten I, I think the Ducks, when they the Ducks play here at Emerald Valley half the time and then um over at Eugene half the time and I think that uh oh that's right he play. He has Casey has the kids play it as a par seventy over there at Eugene now, um, so mm. it kind of is almost tolerable for the modern game. But uh, it's gotten it's gotten a little short, and they don't have any more room, unfortunately. But uh, it's still a beautiful course, crazy bunkering. It's a Robert Trent Jones senior designed it, and then Junior came. It's like screw you, Dad, and flipped all the um, <laughs> <laughs> flipped all the the tees and the greens um and and redesign savage um, and totally <laughs> talk about your daddy issues um <laughs> <and daddy. laughs> he, uh, yeah he did a really good job very cool course awesome well that was fun guys those that's all i got this was a really fun and informative um now i know how to come to to portland and do some fun stuff or oregon in general eugene i've never been to eugene it sounds like a vibe i mean honestly you're not missing much it's a weird little town <laughs> but great for golf it's great for golf because nobody golfs like i, I mean i like in, in the middle of the summer it stays light here really really late like you know in, in june it's like you can golf until just about 9 30 mm-hmm. i mean nobody golfs like i can come out here at five o'clock and play 36 holes in four hours i mean it's nuts um i, I love that yeah Maybe we maybe we edit that part out of the podcast so everyone doesn't come to Eugene and play golf. <laughs> we'll keep that secret between the three of us. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of the Fair Game Podcast. If you haven't already, you can hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever service you may be using. We've also launched the Fair Game app, golf's first digital clubhouse, the place to play your game and connect with golfers across the country. You can find it in the App Store or on Google Play. You can also find us on Instagram at Fair Game Golf and check out some of our original videos on our YouTube page. You can find all these links in the podcast episode details. We'll see you next time. <laughs>